So Money, episode 1042, Lydia Fennett, author of The Most Powerful Woman in the Room, is you. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I think survival is the number one word that we all need to focus on right now. But I also think in a time like this, there is so much time for you to assess what it is in your life that makes you feel powerful and really hone in on that feeling. It's a weird time to be feeling powerful, but our guest today says now might actually be the best time to hone in on that emotion and leverage that to navigate your next chapter. My friend Lydia Fennett joins us on So Money Today. She is Global Managing Editor of Strategic Partnerships and Lead Benefit Auctioneer at Christie's Auction House. Lydia has led auctions for more than 600 organizations. She's raised over half a billion dollars for nonprofits globally. If there's someone out there who knows how to drive home value, it's Lydia Fennett. Lydia was named one of New York's most influential women, and she's been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Vogue, Vanity Fair, and her widely acclaimed book is called The Most Powerful Woman in the Room is You. Here's Lydia Fennett. Lydia Fennett. Welcome to So Money, my friend. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. And I'm so happy to have you here. You're very busy, even with you know the lockdown. You're keeping so busy, providing such great content on your Instagram feed. Just for starters, everybody, we're going to talk about your book and all the other great content you have out there. But your Instagram is so rich. I was actually on one of your live episodes that you do every single day. <laughs> You're a highlight on my live. I People mean, love you. ladies and gentlemen, Lydia has three kids. Okay, she's a full time job, like, and she has time to do all of this great content for her audience. So um not surprised because we're going to get into who you are. And it, it, this is just a, a page out of your book. You are a hustler and you work and you're not afraid of work. And just to let everybody know how we met, you and I shared the stage as panelists at the Ladies Get Paid event last fall. And I was so enamored by you. You had Obviously, your book is called <laughs> you know, your book is called you, "The Most Powerful Woman in the Room Is You," and you definitely played that part. You were enigmatic, and so let's start there, Lydia. Um, you know, this book is really designed to help young female professionals um, get a leg up in their careers, get more confident, earn the money that they're supposed to. It's very much also a, a personal narrative, right? Like you experienced a lot of the advice that you share 20 years at Christie's Auction House. So first question is, let's talk about confidence for a minute. The word confidence, powerful, you know, we all want it. We all want those feelings. And right now, many of us are lacking that. It's hard to feel confident, powerful in a recession because maybe we've lost our job. We're worried about our careers. So for starters, just to address what's happening out in the world, what advice do you have for those of us that, you know, might be feeling like it's not the time to go out there and be 
confident because the world is just not accepting of that right now. Everyone's just trying to survive. I think survival is the number one word that we all need to focus on right now. But I also think in a time like this, there is so much time for you to assess what it is in your life that makes you feel powerful and really hone in on that feeling. You know, we're talking and we talked earlier about the Instagram live, that entire moment for me, the reason I started the Instagram live was because I was feeling so powerless at the beginning of the coronavirus when everything was sort of falling apart. And we had left for spring break with our children. We'd gone to Colorado and we were watching as all of this was coming out of New York City, the place that we live. I've lived there for 20 years. I've raised three children there. We weren't in our home. We were only supposed to be gone for a week. We were in the mountains of Colorado, totally isolated from everyone else, and made the decision as a family to stay there. And once we made that decision, I felt not only incredible guilt for not being in New York, but I just felt completely unsettled. And I felt like nothing that I had been doing the week before that made me feel powerful existed anymore. And I had to sit with that feeling for a little while to really think about what that meant and what I could do to get myself from a place of powerlessness and get myself into a place where I felt like I could not only live in my skin at that moment, but be proud of the actions that I took at this time. And so if I think about power, you know, power for me comes from being on stage and raising money for nonprofits. And although I don't have a stage right now, I can still speak to people. And for me right now, that's an iPhone. That's the way that I can reach out to other people. And so I started the Instagram live is a way to not only highlight powerful women who I know whose voices other people are desperate to hear, to hear hope and optimism from female leaders, but also to give money back to a charity that I know needs it more than anything else right now. And that's a small charity in Queens called the River Fund. So, you know, I launched the Instagram live with a request for anyone who's tuning in to donate a dollar or more to the, you know, the link was in my bio or is in my bio now. And that was really the idea behind it. And the first night that I did that, all of a sudden I felt like myself again. And I remember even walking downstairs beforehand to tell my husband to somehow, you know, shut the kids in a room and lock it so they couldn't get out um, because I was so worried that they were going to hop into the Instagram live, which has happened many times since. And you realize it's not a big deal, but at that moment, my daughter looked at me. And she goes, "Oh, now you look like mommy again." And I realized Aww. I had earrings on, I had makeup on, I was wearing a shirt. You know, that wasn't a workout outfit that I just would have been in for days in this sort of confused, "What is going on?" and "When are we going to have a conclusion to this moment?" And I realized, you know, and this is something that I learned last year on my book tour and through writing the book that power comes from within. You create your own power and no one can else, no one else can do that for you. And as long as whatever you're doing makes you feel powerful, then other people see that and they respond to it. And so that's what power meant to me. And that's what I've realized power, it was, it was sort of like a lesson relearned over the past couple of weeks. And getting on that Instagram live every night makes me feel great. It makes me feel great to reach out to the River Fund. I ask all of my guests to talk about, you know, things that are they want to impact nonprofits in their lives or people they want to help in small business or whatever it might be. Because I think that giving gives you power. It certainly does for me. And so that's kind of how it all happened. And and it's been a sort of nice full circle moment for me. 
Yeah. And to hear you talk about it, absolutely. It does um, seem like it it's pulling from all the aspects of your life that you enjoy most. And mm-hmm. it uh, curious though, I remember in the last recession giving um, fell, like philanthropic giving fell. And I think that's just because obviously people... Um, their net worths fell. And, and mm-hmm. so that was one of the uh, domino effects. But what are you what are you seeing right now in the giving space? And specifically for what you do as an auctioneer, has the pandemic affected business? Absolutely. I mean, I, and I'm speaking in the nonprofit sector, which is different than my full-time job at Christie's, but it's a very tough time to be in a nonprofit right now. And this always happens in moments of large shifts in terms of wealth in the economy, you know, in a recession, or obviously, this is the first global pandemic that I'm living through. It's the only global pandemic I would like to live through just for what it's worth. And it's interesting, because, you know, in 2008, I remember, right before Lehman crashed, there were so many people bidding at charity auctions. I mean, people used to just shout out numbers that would get higher and higher with no correlation between what they were buying and the number they were throwing out. It was just to give. There was so much money. And I saw that actually in the past couple of months. I mean, we were hitting massive records in the nonprofit auctions that I was taking. And as the auctioneer, I stand on stage and I watch it real time. I can see people giving. I can see what's trending. I can see how much money is out there. And, you know, all of these auctions and the gala auctions, frankly, for a lot of charities raise 70 or 80% of their operating budget for the years. So literally as of mid-March, wow. auctions stop. In New York, gala season is March, April, May. So if you can imagine, I probably had 25 or 30 auctions between March 15th and the beginning of June that do not exist anymore, which means that the charities that you know span everything from pediatric cancer research to food, food banks, like I take the Food Bank of New York, they're, they're needed more than ever right now, and yet they have less funding. And a lot of people who give to charity at this point give to things that are urgent. So you know the frontline workers need um, masks, so people give money to that. You know people need food, people give money to that. But then all of the other things, you know, as I said, pediatric cancer, breast cancer, all of those things that are continuing and will continue to need funding and resources, the money for them dries up as it goes to another place. And then on top of that, obviously people have lost so much money just because of the markets, all of that giving, all of that philanthropic giving starts to really pull back. So it's a tough time. And when, when organizations reach out to me right now to sort of get guidance, what I say to all of them is, look, it's the same thing you'd say to a business right now. This is not your year to make a profit. It's your year to survive. So hold on tight because it's going to be a long year and it might be longer than that. So really setting expectations for people and helping them realize that even though they think that they're going to walk into the room that they walked into a month ago and get that kind of giving, the reality is that by the end of this year, most people are going to be tapped out. And so I want to be very clear with people from the get-go about that. And even in terms of what I'm seeing in in just getting that number of people in a room, of getting five or 600 people in a room to actually bid, we don't know when that's going to be. So trying to push people into virtual events in the meantime, again, not to hit a record-breaking number, but rather just to get them to have enough money to make it through this year and hopefully next. Yeah, it's a great reminder about these other organizations that they don't come to immediate mind uh, because when you're in that natural disaster 
mindset, like you definitely think about the frontline needs and um, we forget about some of the other charities and organizations that need year round support. So I like that reminder. Let's transition a little bit to negotiation and personal finances. And, you know, right now I am hearing from people, Lydia, that are getting jobs and are getting offered promotions at work. And they don't really like to tell other people about them right now because uh, they feel yeah, it's sure. inappropriate, but they tell me. Yeah, and yeah. their biggest question to me is, is it appropriate to even ask for more money right now? Should I just take the first offer on the table? I feel like it is appropriate. I mean, I think there's at least worth a round of negotiation. Don't uh, just be happy to be there because that can set you up for a life of of under-earning. Um, but, but I don't know. What do you think? I agree. I mean, if someone has the money right now to offer you a job, you might as well ask if there's more. Because if they are offering jobs at this point, they must be in a sector that is earning some amount of money, or you must have a skill set that's invaluable to them. Look, there's never harm in asking, right? You know, the worst thing you can do is say yes to something and find out in a year or two that they were able to pay you twice as much and they just undervalued you because they knew that you would take it in this time. So I just feel like. Again, it never hurts to ask, and you don't want to be the person who didn't ask at the end of the day. And you personally experienced this at Christie's. You've talked about this um, publicly about how, you know, of course, you've been there for 20 years. You started as an intern and worked your way up. In your 20s, you discovered that you were sorely underpaid. How did you navigate that? You were very successful. So I'd love for you to share some of those tips, steps that you took. Absolutely. You know, this is really a formative moment in my life and a formative moment, even in my financial understanding. I say to a lot of people, you know, money was not really something we talked about when I was little. And it wasn't really something that was even in my realm of understanding. I mean, I, my parents definitely, after I left, were sort of, you know, at left college were sort of like, good luck. And, you know, you're going to have to afford the life you want, but they didn't really let me understand what that was going to cost. So I was kind of doing what a lot of my friends were doing in New York who were working in these glamorous jobs. I was, you know, taking my paycheck with a thank you so much. I'm so excited to get paid this. And it was barely affording me the life that I could live, much less wanted to live at that point. But there were so many different perks that came along with the job. You know, I worked in events so I could eat food at events and I didn't have to go to the grocery store a lot. And, you know, I was very conscious about not running up credit card debt. But at the same time, I wasn't really thinking about my financial security in the future. I was just sort of thinking about, you know, what I was doing day to day. And it seemed like a lot of my friends were doing the same thing. And then I had this sort of watershed moment over brunch with a bunch of friends one day where I announced that my one bedroom apartment that had a wall down the middle of it, which I know sounds horrific if you live outside of New York, but in New York, it's actually quite common to divide a room into two with a wall. And so I've been living in this one bedroom with a friend and she had to move out and I needed another roommate. And everybody sort of said, oh, well, you know, we'll help you find someone. And then another one of our friends at the end who, like me, was working in a luxury goods industry and also was doing events told us that she was buying an apartment. And I was so floored. I couldn't even, I couldn't even really wrap my head around what she was saying because basically more than half of my paycheck was going to rent. And the other half I was sort of you know, doing God knows what with, I wasn't accounting for any of it. Um, I'm sure as I'm telling you this for news, you are wincing, <laughs> but it was just really <laughs> sort of like reckless spending with no understanding and no hope for ever buying an apartment on my own. But it made me really 
stop and think about what I was doing and what my financial future might look like if I actually asked the question, you know, am I making enough money? Am I working in the right job to afford the life that I want? And I really started researching what people in my job in my industry should be making. And I realized that I was making about a third, not a half, a third of what I should be making in that job. And Oddly, around the same time, we had a new head of human resources, this wonderful man who I'm still in touch with, who grabbed me one day after a meeting and said, you know, we should talk about your comp because you were wildly underpaid, Lydia. And it was that, along with the conversations I'd been having at that time, that made me realize what was going on and how how I had so easily nodded when people told me that I worked for the glamour of my job and how I'd always accepted any anytime I questioned it, then I received the pushback about how lucky I was to have a job. And it's one of those things that now in retrospect, I kind of can't believe that I just sort of nodded my head because it's not really who I am. But when you work for a company that you think of as your family, you assume they're taking care of you. And so what I say in the book is, is Look, your company can be your family. You can love every single person you work with as much as you want to be around anyone in your own family. But business is business. And if you're doing the job you're supposed to be doing, you need to be paid the way that anyone else, male or female, is getting paid for that job. And so I basically in the book talk about this process that I went through where I reached out to a number of different companies, figured out what I was worth on the open market, and went in to talk to my boss at the time who I adored. And I told him I was leaving. It wasn't actually my intent when I walked in there to tell him that I was leaving. I didn't have a job offer lined up. I just told him I was leaving. And he basically, within an hour period, gave me everything I wanted, which was triple what I was making, an international title. And he let me start the department that I now run for the company 10 years later called Strategic Partnerships. And it was because I sat down and really thought out what I wanted and just went in there at a time when I knew it would be catastrophic if I left because the nature of my job is so cyclical that this time of year for them to not have a head of events would have been terrible. And he knew that. And so it was just sort of like this collection of all things working at the right time. And when it worked, it worked. And almost overnight, I mean, all of that anger that I felt at not being treated correctly and not getting paid adequately disappeared. And I think my loyalty to the company ever since has been deeper because I stayed, because they gave me what I wanted, because I was being adequately compensated. And that's why I said even earlier in the conversation What I think people need to realize more than anything is you need to ask, because if you don't ask, you're never going to get, and you need to keep asking every single year. If you feel that you are doing a job that should be making more and you are doing the job to a higher degree than what you have been paid for, ask the question. You know, you may not get the answer you want to hear, but at least you're asking. And I think that makes you a more fulfilled employee. Mm. Have the courage to ask, even though you're scared fight the fear. It sounds like you have benefited also from having an advocate for you, a mentor, someone who gave you a tip and said, maybe you should look into your salary a little bit further, Lydia. Wish we all had that. Absolutely. It was funny. I just spoke with him today, actually. We're still, we still keep in touch about a number of different things, but I think that's what people are for. You know, if you have a human resources department, talk to them because they have that intel. And at this point, 10 years, 10 years after all of that happened, 
they're the ones who are supposed to be guiding you in the right direction. So, you know, I think it always helps to have allies and mentors in any company, especially people who have access to knowledge that you need. So now you have raised over half a billion dollars for hundreds of charities. What's been your personal financial win, the greatest one so far, Lydia? I mean, that story about tripling your salary in your 20s, that's definitely, that's going to, that's one for the books and it is in your book. But maybe one that happened after that, that was another example of standing up for yourself. I think that, you know, another great financial win for me was certainly my book, Um, you know, I always am looking for different ways to make income. You know, we live in New York City. We have three small children. There are a lot of expenses that go with it. And after my eyes were opened, after that moment, you know, 10 years ago, when I realized what my financial future could look like if I really took ownership of it, I feel like my entire existence is about finding different ways to increase money in our own financial future in our family. And so that means, you know, educating myself about investing, really guiding myself and and taking webinars and watching you, Farnoosh. I think that you're a great resource. I love watching your YouTube channel that you just started. Um, You know, just understanding a little bit more about what else is out there and how I can monetize things that I know how to do. And writing a book and securing a book advance was a huge win for me. I mean, you know, I had a number of different publishing houses that were interested in purchasing it. And they ultimately, Simon & Schuster came in with a preempt, which meant that we didn't go to auction, which as an auctioneer, you can imagine feels a little weird. (laughs) But I I felt good about the offer that they were putting on the table. And it felt great to know that I'd created something that was going to create an additional revenue stream for our family. So I think that was the most recent financial win for me. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm all about the multiple revenue streams. I was talking to someone earlier about what are some of the positive outcomes of the last recession. And I think it's that mindset of of multiple revenue streams, the side gigs, the side hustles while you have your full-time job. And I think you and I are both products of that. I think we're definitely products of the last recession and learning about the importance of different revenue streams. And I say to my friends a lot of times, you know, especially, and I don't know if you find this too, because I know that you have two kids, but my friends who are, who are moms and sort of stepped out of the workforce. And a lot of times they have so many marketable skills that they don't understand that they can monetize. You know, I have a friend who used to be a sort of career counselor and she is the most incredible resume writer you've ever met in your entire life. And I remember saying to her once, you need to start charging for this. And she kind of rolled her eyes and sort of said, who would ever charge, who would ever buy a resume or, you know, buy help writing a resume. <laughs> I sort of laughed. I said, well, I, you know, if I ever left Christie's, I would pay for a resume. And so I think I probably referred 15 or 20 clients to her now that she has a resume writing business. You know, it's one of those things that if you look at what you can do, if someone cannot do it, there's a chance they'll pay you for it. And I've given that guidance to a lot of younger women who I've spoken to even in the past couple of weeks. You know, when I was launching the most powerful woman in the room is you love live on Instagram, I wanted social media assets to be able to share with guests. I have absolutely no idea how to create something that looks like my book cover that would be presentable on Instagram. But my babysitter who recently lost her job used to work in social media. And so I shot her an email and said, listen, I know you're not working anymore, but would you be willing if I paid you to do a couple of these social media assets for me? And sure enough, there you go. I had them an hour later. So just be creative about the things that you know how to do that other people might not know how to do. 
and offer your services. You may have to do it at a reduced rate for a while, but it might keep the lights on. Thinking outside that box. Always. All right, let's do some so money. Um, this is this is my so money fill in the blanks portion of the show where I I gotta come up with a fancier name for it. But five years in, I don't know, I don't know if I'm gonna change it at this point. But it's basically I start a sentence, you finish it. First thing that comes to mind. Okay. So if I won the lottery tomorrow, a hundred million bucks, the first thing I would do is. Realize that it was $50 million because taxes takes half of it. That's a huge thing that people Smart. don't talk about. Mm-hmm. And then I would give half of it to charity. And then the other half I would give to my family, friends, and to my husband and our children. Oh, my goodness. I like that order of things. Yeah. Uncle Sam, everybody else, and then your family. That's um, it's very generous. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better, especially now in the pandemic, because we're not like going out and getting manicures so or massages, which tends to be a popular answer to this. But what's, it, what's something that you're spending on right now to make your life easier or better? If I see an exercise class outside of the Peloton app, which is free for 90 days, I will take it because I love doing different types of exercise right now. I got to fit that into my schedule. Um, <laughs> it's a priority. You're 20 minutes a day. That's all yeah, you need. Yeah, 20 minutes a day. There's a, um, I just interviewed Sean T, who's uh-huh. the, like the fitness guru, and he has a 20 minute program and it's just dancing cardio. So I'm like, okay, I can do that. You can do it. I can, you can do, do it. Absolutely do it. You can okay. do it. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is. I wish I'd learned about money, period, how to save it, how to invest it, not to run up credit card debt on a credit card, just the basics. I think that's really wish I, what I wish I had learned because I think if you have those building blocks, you're set for life. Yeah, especially the investing and investing in yourself and the market mm-hmm. and just all of that, the, how it compounds. And last but not least, I'm Lydia Fennett. I'm so money because... I believe in myself and I believe I have the power to change everything in my life. Wow, that we need to hear that right now because we do feel like so much is not in our control, but that's a great reminder. The way that you choose to see the world, make your money. I mean, there is still a lot within our reach. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think there are one, one theme that I've seen through the Instagram live. And I believe I told you this when you were on, I'm finding this with female leaders. The one thing that is so interesting to me is to see how out of all the chaos, there seems to be a lot of clarity of thought amongst the female leaders who are coming on. And maybe that's a a leadership quality, but it is incredible to see what is being created already and we're only six weeks into this. So imagine what's going to happen the next yes. three to six months. It's a time to grow. I mean, look at the last recession, so much entrepreneurship, so much innovation out of necessity. Uh, but a lot of that stuck around and it'll be nice to see, exciting to see what uh, what materializes now and in the next year. And hopefully we'll all be, uh, we'll have good stories to share. Absolutely. I know you will. I know you're working on your next book, right? I am. Exactly. You know, keep those revenue streams coming. I love it. You're so money. Lydia Fennett, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to, great to catch up. And you can learn more about Lydia at LydiaFennett.com. That's L-Y-D-I-A-F-E-N-E-T. And her book is called The Most Powerful Woman in the Room is You. Command an audience and sell your way to success.
All this information is on somoneypodcast.com. Grab the transcript, the audio, share it with your friends. Follow me on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi and also subscribe to my new YouTube channel that Lydia was talking about. I have a new video going up every single week. My advice and my thoughts on everything that's going on. The latest is how to make working from home with kids work. And the short answer is you can't, (laughs) but I try. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope your day is so money. 